Sober Sundays with Mike Michow. We are at Floored Media in Rockville Center. Shout out again to my friend Jay. Thank you, Jay. And today, like all my guests are special, this is a little different. Today we are joined by Alyssa. Hi, Alyssa. Hi, Mike. Alyssa is one of the clinical directors at Seafield. So we brought in our own treatment expert. An expert. expert in addiction and recovery. We have Alyssa, super proud. Um, me and Alyssa go way back. Alyssa? Nine years. That's what we came across that you've been working there. That's right. Okay. Yeah, about nine years. Nine years. Um, Three of the nine years, we worked very closely together. That's right. So uh, little, little history is when I first started at Seafield, clinical director Pedro was my supervisor. And Alyssa would sit in and I always say, what is she doing? Who is she? Why is she here? I thought she was just somebody that worked with insurance. I didn't even know she was a supervisor yet. Well, it was yet. Okay. It wasn't yet. In the making. In the making. Okay. Exactly. And, and then I think we worked together, but Briefly. I don't think I worked well with, with you. Oh, we didn't play nice together? My truth is that I lacked uh, respect for some of the supervisors there because of my own pride and ego and knowledge that I thought I had with helping people. Mm. Um, and maybe a little close minded to the treatment dynamics when I first started. So who's this girl? What does she know about recovery? I don't think it was personal, but I will say, uh, super proud of the relationship that we built mostly centered around helping other people. Alyssa bringing in, bringing in things that I would have never thought of and plans and executing plans and being a real leader. And I, you taking chances with me and allowing me to help people the way I like to help people and a beautiful working relationship and I must say, we have helped a lot of people over the years. I hope so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to tell us a little bit about how you got started in this? Oh, um, I kind of just fell into it, honestly. I mean, everyone's like, oh, I have a personal experience, my family, my friends, me. I don't really have any of that. I just like was, I don't know, drawn to it for some reason. Um, and. I really am glad that I did because I enjoyed, I enjoy helping people, obviously cliche, but I think in this population, even more so than any other, it's like difficult to help people. The struggle is real. The struggle is real. Yeah. How many cases do you need to see of people getting better for you to continue to want to fight for, for your patients? Is that a trick question? Could be. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think addiction is one of those diseases and I call it a disease because it is that not a lot of people understand because you can't just take a pill and the symptoms goes away. You have to really work hard at it. And I've seen people work hard at it and it's not for a lack of trying that they haven't gotten it, but it's just attitudes and behaviors. The disease of addiction, mental, physical, spiritual. All of the above. You have a saying that you wanted to say about the I disease? Just did. Okay, that was. <laughs> it. 
So what do you, what do you do at, at T-Field? Um, I supervise the staff and um, I make sure that we're treating our patients with dignity and respect. Um, Patient-centered care? Yes, <laughs> patient-centered care. Um, but I think there's just such a taboo when it comes to addiction that people, I don't even wanna say that they're like, it's not dirty that I wanna use, but it's just like that they come from lower class, that they come from a poorer background, that they've, you know, why can't they just stop? Mm -hmm. And the frustration that I sometimes feel also, and I'm, I'm, I don't wanna speak for you, but I know you've feel, felt before, that um, people not getting better, it, um, it definitely is difficult to treat people with dignity and respect because you're like, why can't you just get, get it? We're giving you all the tools, just get it. But when you talk about behaviors and attitudes, you know, and not being able to just take a pill to make the symptoms subside, people have to work harder. So not sympathy, but maybe working with people for as long as you have more compassion and empathy. I have a lot of compassion for this population of people. And for the people that struggle the most, are those the people you want to help the most? Not that it's a competition, you want to help more than others, but. I mean, I think that when people are struggling more than others, I like to spend more time trying to get them to the right place mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, all the things, um, because maybe they know, but they're just, they just have to hear it more often. And, um, you know, I, I like to think that I have a very compassionate, engaging, friendly personality that people take to that. And they're like, okay, she understands, they understand, and let me try a little harder. So, so why Alyssa? Why does Alyssa, over 13 years, of being in this field, why do you, why does it appear that you're learning so much, at, like as you go when it comes to helping people? Like, well, the disease is changing quite a bit. I think that people are coming in, and the drugs are harder, and they have more effect on um, on the brain, and people struggle even more. So you have to adjust. You can't just say, like you said before, like go to rehab or don't come here, like to outpatient. You have to really work with them and get them to a place where they understand the severity of what they're dealing with and work on helping them accept. Do you want to scream out at people that this is life or death? Yes, and to be honest, I don't think that I really realized how much life and death it was until like, again, cliche, the past couple of years that, you know, we've experienced so many overdoses, so many deaths, so many suicides that, yeah, it's life or death. And people forget. People forget that because, again, oh, drugs, just stop. No, people are dying. Do you feel that now, now that you're in this, mm -hmm. do you feel like this is what you were kind of, this is what you're here for? my calling. You could say that. Maybe. Yeah. I think, I think at this point in my life, it's, I'm enjoying it. I like doing it. Um, I like helping 
people that are struggling like addicts and alcoholics are because, you know, not that I like to see people suffer, but I think it's the most um, suffered population and I don't think that they get enough attention. Well, if, if somebody had, you know, stage four cancer, yeah. it's life or death, they go 100%. get help right away. When it comes to addiction, there's no... It's people, a struggle to even get help sometimes. And even the, the patient or the addict, the alcoholic is not jumping right in to go to get the help and take all of the help. No. And I try and figure out, we've tried and figured out why. Why are you not realizing that this is life or death? And I think a lot of it comes from not accepting that um, there's a problem. You know, I don't know if that's just the denial or they really just truly believe that there's no problem because consequences are um, subjective, I think, where it affects your life subjectively. They're, maybe they're not receiving enough consequences. So what, that brings me to this. This is what I wanted to ask. Mm -hmm. What kind of approaches like, do you use when, when help different approaches for different people? Are you approaching your staff, the counselors that work there? Mm -hmm. are, you, are you helping them to help meet their patients where they're at? That's the goal. I think some people struggle with that, but the goal is to meet your patient where you're at, that where they're at, um, because everyone's at different phases of their recovery. And if you if you're meeting them, you know, saying okay, they're getting sober and they're still using, and we need to work with them on figuring out why are they still using. You so know? what kind of approaches? If if we're trying to help somebody, mm -hmm. and they're going, they are. They want to go down a road less traveled or a path that we have not seen work or, or work reduction. well with others like harm reduction. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to understand the disease and the disease is um, it's not going to allow you to just use a little heroin, just drink like half a pint and not a full pint because you're still putting in that substance and changing your brain chemistry. And, and it's still, you're still gonna end up where you started, drinking every day, using a bundle a day. Do you see people maybe who complete treatment or come into treatment, get better, who maybe don't work on themselves on the outside of treatment? A hundred percent. Whether it's meetings, and they come back, the gym, relationships, new jobs, working real hard, but no recovery. You said that I see them again, right? Do you? I do. <laughs> In fact, maybe Why do on you a think daily basis. Well, I mean, when people complete treatment and they necessarily haven't taken the suggestions, um, we see them back for one reason or another. They got in trouble. They relapsed on whatever their own free will because they weren't working a program. Um, you've seen that too. I have. Why? Why do people come back to treatment? Why do people relapse? People relapse when they don't. So recovery is, is an inside job. Mm -hmm. So I could fix everything on the outside, but the issues and the problems are still not going, they're still going to be there. Right. So recovery is an inside job. 
If I don't change that, then then I don't change. It's just a may, maybe a matter of time before life becomes too unmanageable again, and I pick up and I use. Like I'm I'm powerless. Not so much once I start. Like most people can identify. I start drinking, I I lose control. I don't you know. But the powerlessness is is in the choice of whether I'm going to pick up or not. That's the powerless. Because if I could just not drink, then I wouldn't drink. If I could, if my problem was alcohol or drugs, I would just not drink and not do drugs. But the disease is alcoholism. It is addiction. It is in my mind. Why would you say what's in someone's mind that makes them pick up? I think it's pain behind it and uncomfortabilities and fears and unresolved, you know, shortcomings and resentments. That well, you're you're in a place where there is no choice, like picking up to, to make the noise stop in your head, to make to, to feel better, to numb, to not feel better, just because. I think the concept of powerlessness is something that a lot of people struggle with. Would you I, agree? I would absolutely agree. Why? Well, ego, pride. I maybe at times I, I'll only remember the times I did control it or I, th I think I know best. If I lived my life for so long a certain way, mm -hmm. whether it's self-centeredness or I could fix it, I, 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 I think I can get myself out of this problem. I think I know best. At the end of the day, I don't fully commit to listening to somebody else rather than my own mind. Because that's what the disease tells you. It's like you're in control. And I'm in control. Yeah. What else would you like to see the treatment field? Like what kind of direction do you think is needed, if needed? I don't know. I'm, I'm really just asking. I mean, I think I've seen a lot of people struggle to get the help that they need. And I've been on the other end of those conversations where I have to tell someone, like you're not sick enough mm -hmm. to go inpatient, where you need the physical distance from your drug of choice. Um, and it's terrible to have to say like those kinds of things. You're not sick enough, it's not bad enough. And I've had a lot of people, parents, specifically significant others be like, you've just, you know, cut them down. They're not gonna get help, they're hopeless now. It's like the window was open, they were ready. And I shut it right in their face. And it's difficult because I'm there to help, but like in that moment, I'm not helping. But it's, you know, it's definitely way above my pay grade to make those changes. But I think access to treatment is definitely something that needs a little help. Um, hopefully people are working on that as we speak. But So I, I have seen, I, I don't want to put you on in an uncomfortable position. So I'll, uh -oh. speak, I'll speak for myself for, for a minute. Like mm -hmm. I know at times when I desperately wanted to get somebody all the help that they could get. Mm -hmm. Inpatient, detox, made countless phone calls, mm -hmm. push, tried to push every button, go over people's heads. I feel like sometimes it, it does get done that we're able to do that. Yeah, I mean, I think over the years, I've learned enough about the field particularly that um, I've kind of tried to use keywords or like, spin it mm -hmm. in a way that um, the people get the help that they need. Do you think that, not from any particular place, maybe just in the field in general, mm -hmm. that maybe staff, 
counselors, therapists, maybe don't push those right buttons. Maybe they're incapable of doing it. Well, I will say that burnout is real. When you're hearing all of the things from all of the patients, um, it can definitely get heavy on your heart, on your mind. So you lack the motivation to really stay connected to each individual patient and what they need and just kind of, okay, you know, they'll figure it out eventually. Okay. You work with different different staffs, different backgrounds, mm-hmm. maybe some, a lot of schooling, a lot of education. You also have people with recovery backgrounds. Mm-hmm. You have people with, they don't drink or use anymore backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Any, like anyone who eat? helps best? Who do you prefer to work with? Who do you, is more effective in this game? Is it, is it, a pers- what about when the patients say, I can't receive help if my counselor is not an addict or in recovery? What have you said to people when they say that? Well, personally, I don't disclose. I, that's just the way I was learned, you know, why I was taught in school Yeah. was uh, not to disclose. So my thinking is that it is never about me. It is always about the, pa- the patient and I would deflect or just move the, move the conversation elsewhere. I'm, I'm kind of slick like that, where I could quickly move that and it doesn't become about me because I feel like it's always about the patient. 100%. But I also have seen effectiveness. I've seen therapists and counselors be amazing therapists and counselors who aren't in recovery. And I've seen a lot of more maybe effectiveness from counselors that are in recovery. Well, I think you if you're in recovery and in the field, you know the disease from a different perspective. So sure, that's going to bode well for for those people that are treating patients. But I think, you know, early on, I relied on my education rather than, like I said, I don't have like a personal experience with it. But now you do. But now I do as far as learning over the years and understanding it and getting to know the people and getting to know the disease through those people. Um, I don't rely so much on my education, but rather on, I really just feel like it's being there. Like the tools that they need to be sober are outside of treatment. Stay sober. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) We help you get there, but to stay there, you need outside help. But in order for there to be a long-term sobriety or recovery, there's going to have to be a short-term. So the field detox is 28 days, long-term, intensive outpatient, individual counseling, group therapy, effective means Mm -hmm. to get somebody to a place where... Maybe they start to get more comfortable or more connected and engage in self-help meetings or mm-hmm. go to AA or go to NA or wherever they go. Yeah. Well, I think that's what we know works. Like what I was saying before, there's no magic pill that takes away the symptoms like other diseases. I would take 12 of those. 12 of of the, the magic a- pills. Oh, the magic pills. Yeah. If there was one, Probably let's come them. up with one. <laughs> Probably sniff them. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think that it takes effort to get motivated to go to a meeting, 
because you still don't know, like I'm, I'm different. We hear that a lot, right? That's right. I'm unique. Um, but we know that AA works, self-help works. Um, and if that is the magic pill, that's probably the magic pill. Do you, do you not need to know how it works? You just know that it does work. That's all you need to know, right? Me personally, yeah. that's all I need to know. I've, I've seen it. I've seen it in the patients that have come back a few times and the difference that it has made in their life. And every single time someone's come back who has been involved, I, I won't say every single time, 90% of the time someone comes back and they were involved in the rooms, they say, you know, like, why'd you relapse? I stopped going to meetings. Mm -hmm. So it, I don't need to know how it works, but I know that it works. Yeah, that that's the experience that's... That you've had? That's the experience that I see you obtain and like putting to like practical application is that like you see the, the patients that are getting better mm -hmm. and what they're doing. And then you see the patients that aren't getting better mm -hmm. and that continue to come back and walk through those doors. Because every day there's a returning patient coming into treatments everywhere. Sometimes a few a day. That's true. <laughs> so where does Alyssa now we're 13 years into this where that's a long time right that's a yes where does Alyssa see herself in in this in this field are you going anywhere are we doing anything not anytime this is your soon. first podcast this is my first podcast I mean you were very excited to do it no not at all <laughs> only for intimidation purposes but it's kind of uh, fun. Do you have fun doing this? I have a lot of fun. Yeah. I think it's important to get the word out because a lot of people are not educated about what addiction is, what it does, and again, getting rid of the stereotypes of who it affects because, you know, like we always say, it doesn't discriminate. It's from, what is, what is it? From park, the park bench. Park bench to park F. There you go. That's what it is. Penn State to the state pen. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what What's Alyssa's ideal picture of like a good counselor or somebody that's going to help somebody? Um, I it's, think don't explain me. I was going to say you. <laughs> is that the answer you're looking for? Um. No, I think it's just someone who listens and someone who under, is, is understanding. Not, you don't necessarily need to understand, but you need to be understanding um, because people have been through it. And, you know, if you don't come across as understanding, empathetic, and just listen if they don't feel like you're listening and you're just sitting there and like you've got other things to do they probably aren't going to use you like you should be used mm -hmm. in, a, in a therapeutic setting where the the counselor could use motivational interviewing do we have to get technical no we don't, I don't use any of that technical <laughs> but it should be flexible right yes yes and i won't describe you but i think what it kind of started with us a little bit, that patient-centered, not us, but like when mm -hmm. we started working together and 
we had to adjust a little bit. Like people got more chances. They got more um, flexibility in, okay, let's try this. Let's sit down and have a conversation. Like what's going on? What can we do better? What can we do better for you? You know? Which I, this is bringing me back to our, my experience with working with you yeah. was that I felt every time I spoke uh-huh. that you listened, I, under, I, I took it as an understanding that you trusted me in doing the right thing and that I knew what I was talking about when it came to helping people. And I felt like you allowed me to do the things that I do. You're welcome. <laughs> I also feel that maybe Alyssa has also learned a great deal of working somebody with each other. Absolutely. I think it, it helps the balance on how, like how I could trust and rely so much that knowing that self-help works and to keep giving people chances. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it helps when you have the balance in a working relationship of your experience and my experience that those conversations are more fluid rather than like, no, you're going to do this because Mm -hmm. I said so. Um, But yeah. And I come from a place where with everyone that I work with, like if you're working directly with a patient, you know them best. You've been sitting in the room with them or in a session with them for however long. I rely on you to tell me what they need or what's going on with them. And I'm more of like a work together clinical supervisor than do what I tell you to do. That sounds nice. It, it was, right? <laughs> it was. <laughs> What's the hardest part of your job? Well, obviously, besides for hearing the death that happens, um, it's seeing the people come back even more broken and just like like wanting to shake them and be like, but we told you, we told you this was gonna happen. Why couldn't you get it? Why didn't you get it? Like, why didn't you listen? Um, so I think that's the hardest part. And seeing them knowing that the journey is long, that there's not an instant gratification, like you're not going to be fixed right away and we right. have to do this together. Right. And some people aren't, don't stick around for the, Right. Well, there's, there's no symptom relief right away. And the effort that it takes to get to symptom relief is more than some people can mentally, physically, spiritually handle. That's right. The days of instant gratification are over. They are. And people don't like that. Have you ever attended any 12 step meetings on the outside? I mean, I've gone over the years, like when school said, Oh, go. Um, I personally feel like that's a sacred place where I'm, I'm not going to intrude on that, even in an open meeting. Like, I don't, I don't feel like I, I should be intruding on that. Okay. And like I said, I don't, I don't necessarily, I mean, I, I know what goes on and, and the concepts and all this. I have to know, obviously. What about an anniversary? I've gone, you've never invited me. Okay. okay. Good point. <laughs> I have gone to anniversaries before. Nice. Yes. And now would you say that your, your friends, your family, people mm-hmm. on the outside, mm-hmm. not from work, if they needed help, can I'm they the, call Alyssa? I'm the first person they call always, which 
I'm grateful for. But um, I think sometimes it, I don't, I, here's an outpatient, go to this outpatient. But, um, you know, I, I wish that I had a little bit more in my Rolodex because I, you know, my, my resources are Seafield, inpatient, outpatient, but where you really need to be is connected to other recovering people. Is it not as relieving as maybe you think it should feel when you help somebody on the outside? Um, well, I mean, I don't, I don't get to necessarily see the outcome when that does happen. Um, and I, th I think a lot of people, people know now what, where what to, to go, what to do. Um, so maybe I've been taking it out of the picture a little bit, but I think, you know, I kind of put it out there on what needs to be done and where you should go and who you should call as far as treatment goes. But unless someone has the individual connection to someone else who's in recovery to really take them hand in hand to a meeting, I think that that's where I fall short. I can tell them where to go, mm -hmm. but like I said, I feel like it's a sacred place I don't have any business in. Are you ever gonna open up your own place? Um, I mean, I don't think I want that responsibility right now. <laughs> Two kids is enough for me. <laughs> well, you're not close-minded to... No, no, of course not. Is it driven by the more people you could help? Is it driven by money? Is it driven by personal satisfaction? To open up my own practice? Yeah. I mean, obviously there's a financial piece that would be there. I mean, substance abuse notoriously is a, a low paying field. So no one gets into this because they think they're gonna be rich. Spiritual dollars. Spiritual dollars, right, with with the man upstairs. Um, but I'm not, I'm, I think substance abuse is a specialized area where private practice doesn't, I mean, it's good to supplement, but it doesn't necessarily do the job that like a group would do because you need those connections to other people or else you're just doing the same thing. You're isolating in your own head or, you know, I can, if I was an addict, I'm going to tell my therapist what they want to hear. And instead of being in a group of people who know that I'm probably bullshitting and call me out. I like that. So where, what do you, do you want to ask me anything before? Why did you start this podcast? <laughs> someone, did someone tell you? It's a great question. <laughs> so I, I use, as most of my moves, um, it wasn't for me, right? So a good friend of mine who's behind the scenes mm -hmm. kept asking me to do a podcast, suggesting that I should do it. He said, there's a lot of people out there that need to hear things. And, you know, and I kept yesing him. And then one day he called me and he was more serious. And he said, let's go, uh, let's check it out. And we ended up coming here and meeting Jay with Floored, Floored Media. And it's so nice up here. It is. It is very calm and, and chill. And we just started and we said, let's go. Um, so. Get the word out. I, I don't put a lot of thought into it because I don't want to hear maybe some of the, um, this is like uncharted territory a little bit. Mm -hmm. 
for my background, my background is a hundred percent in, you know, self-help. So yeah, but I'm also in the field as, as being a counselor. So when it's labeled as, as an addiction specialist or something, I guess you could write that under my name. Oh. Uh, but yeah, I, I love the feeling of when I go out and people who I don't even know are saying that, that they heard this and people coming up to me and said that they love Sundays, they can't wait for Sundays. And one, another woman just the other day said that she like binge watches this. She, she like thinks it's like a Netflix thing and then like puts them all together. Nice. She can't wait for the next episode. So, so I think that's great. Like what, I mean, to come here and spend two hours is, is nothing. You know? No, you've done three hours. You've done eight hours of this. You've done eight hours and beyond of this. Yeah, well, it's an hour at a time. An hour, okay, one day at a time. Have you gotten any backlash? Just one. Uh, it seemed more of confusing or or questioning about like the traditions, you know? Yeah, um, well, because that's what I said to you, like, uh. Yes. I mean, I, I personally ha have gone through the 12 traditions, yeah. not like many people have, uh, and I've taken a lot of people through, and this is not, you know, an, an AA or an NA sanctioned event. This is just a, a podcast about recovery. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's important to get the word out about addiction and recovery. And in a different form. Yeah. Well, these are the times of podcasts and internet stuff. And to have somebody maybe who wouldn't be, you wouldn't hear at a meeting or in an outpatient is like staff and counselors and people with different backgrounds, kind of like different formats. And sure. Yeah. I'm a happy camper. Thanks for having me. Yes. Well, thank you. And if anybody's looking for help, you could definitely look us up on SoberSundaysPodcast.com. Um, Alyssa also, she, you can also call her at Seafield and you can also always contact me if you have any questions or you're looking for any help. Thank you so much, Alyssa. This was Thank fun. Thank you for having me. All right. Thank you.